Welcome to So Tell Me More, a podcast where you can join Prabnor and Navya, two psychotherapy students, as they dive into various topics through a psychotherapy lens. This podcast will get you thinking and reflecting on all things mental health, ranging from self-care to learning more about what exactly cognitive behavior therapy is. We hope you stick around. In today's episode, we're being joined by Bippendeep Abbott, a third-year medical student at McMaster University who is completing her clerkship and recently completed her rotation in the psychiatry department. And today she'll be sharing her insight on that experience with us. Welcome, Bippin. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be back. Yeah, we really enjoyed your episode last time. I know we were talking about mental health and COVID-19. So we're excited to hear more about your experience with psychiatry and how that's been going. But initially, we wanted to share a little bit about what psychiatry is exactly. So when we think about psychiatry, psychiatry really is this branch of medicine that's focused on the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of mental, emotional, and behavioral disorders. So it looks at things more from a medical perspective, looking at medication, treatment plans, and stuff as such. I'll let Bippin explain a little bit more, but if I ask you, Bippin, through your experience, how would you define psychiatry? Yeah, I think you covered it really well. It's a psychiatrist is basically responsible for all aspects of managing a patient that's suffering through mental illness. So for example, it starts all the way at the beginning with a diagnosis, and then you kind of work your way up to creating a management plan. So it starts off with a patient presenting with some type of a concern, whether it's anxiety, depression, etc. A psychiatrist is responsible for doing like a thorough history, trying to figure out what they have, diagnosing them, and then suggesting management plans, which could include a medication, but it also includes things like therapies. Yeah, with Navya and I, we were able to look at things from the medical perspective at our practicum where we worked and sat in on psych consults. So seeing how initially the intake and the history is done to then seeing what the psychiatrist actually suggests in terms of medication or treatment plan. We're excited to hear more about your experience and learn more about the depth of what a psychiatrist does. But before we get into that, I wanted to know how was your experience? Because you just finished your rotation in psychiatry. How did you find it? It was a lot of fun. I think psychiatry is a really important field, not just for people who are planning on specializing in it, but also really anyone in the healthcare field. I think regardless of what you end up doing, you're going to encounter people that have mental health problems and you need to find a way to be able to support them. So regardless of whether you become a specialist in psychiatry, um, it's important to absorb as much as you can. And that's how I focused on my rotation is just trying to learn as much as possible because I know regardless of what I do, I'll be using it. That's such a great point that even if you're not specializing and getting further training in psychiatry itself, it's such an underlying and important foundation to have for any healthcare provider. And so just like you said, soaking it in, getting knowledge of the different diagnoses that could be present, different symptom clusters, all of that important information, as well as resources for patients can be really helpful for any field, right? So now that we've discussed a little bit about what your experience has been in psychiatry. How has your medical journey been going so far, Bipin? And where are you at at the moment, just to give everyone some context? 
Yeah, I'm a third-year medical student at McMaster University, as you mentioned in, in the introduction. More traditionally, medical school has been four years, and so you do two years of pre-clerkship and two years of clerkship. So pre-clerkship is basically where you traditionally sit in a classroom, learn through lectures or group projects, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then clerkship is when you actually do formal rotations. So you're no longer kind of just a student sitting in school, but you're in hospitals, going through different rotations, whether it's psychiatry, surgery, family medicine, etc. And you're actually seeing how you would be as a physician in that specialty in the future. More to get more knowledge about all different specialties, but also to see where you can imagine yourself in the future. So it's really exciting time, very busy time also. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so that's where I am right now. I'm finishing up clerkship. Yeah, so very similar to our practicum experiences too. It, it's a whole different ball game when you finally get to go into the setting, engage with clients, patients, and different professionals and get that experience and figure out, like you said, what kind of doctor you'd want to be, what kind of um, for us therapist you want to be and areas you want to specialize in population. So absolutely, it's really cool to think that we're kind of on parallel paths here at the moment doing our practicum, you're doing your clerkship. So very excited to hear how psychiatry specifically went for you and what you took away from that. Yeah, and I think that clinical component or that practical component for us is so vital when you are working with people. Mm -hmm. Personally, at least, I feel you can only get so much knowledge and experience in a classroom doing role plays or doing these application-based assignments, but actually being with a client or being with a patient and seeing how do you react in a certain situation or how would you respond to a possible treatment plan or to therapy is so essential for that education component before you go out in the real world and are providing these Mm -hmm. services so I think having that clinical component is so important and it's been so valuable as a practicum student for myself I've learned a lot about what I like doing what I need to improve on and what I also don't want to do in the future in terms of certain modalities I'm not more comfortable or it just isn't my style so I think it's been such a learning experience having that practical component All right, Pippin, would you mind sharing a little bit more about your specific experiences in psychiatry, what that structure is like in the psychiatry department and anything else that you really took away from it? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So I think with psychiatry, you can look at it in terms of divided into two big themes of Mm -hmm. inpatient psychiatry and outpatient psychiatry, kind of similar to all aspects of medicine that you can have in hospital care and then outside of hospital care. And as you can imagine, inpatient psychiatry is a little bit more acute. Mm -hmm. So with the inpatient psychiatry, you're managing a lot of patients that have acute issues, things like suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, active psychosis, things that would make them unsafe to be at home basically, and you're responsible uh, for managing that in a hospital. Whereas with outpatient psychiatry, it's more so managing the more typical patients you imagine, patients that are, you know, struggling at home, but still able to live at home safely. So people that are struggling with anxiety, depression, other things, depending on what you specialize in as a psychiatrist. And so as a psychiatrist, it depends on whether you're interested in one or the other or both. It's really, really open. You can kind of choose what you want to do. Where I work, my preceptor did both inpatient and outpatient psychiatry. So she would manage acute patients in the morning and then kind of move on to managing her outpatients, patients she's been seeing for a really long time 
I remember some of them, you know, she saw for more than 20, 30 years. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's kind of how it's divided overall. Let me know if you have any more questions about that. Yeah. Did you notice any major differences in the way that they approach care in general between those two groups? Of course, you mentioned already inpatient is far more acute. Meanwhile, for the outpatient, it might be people you're seeing for a longer period of time and offering some intervention in that way. So did you notice any major differences between the two in terms of psychotherapy maybe or like the way that they approach care? Yeah. So with inpatients, I really liked the way that, you know, at least I experienced through my rotation, the way that we manage patients there. In the inpatients, for a lot of the patients you see, often they're not, you know, because they're at such an acute stage they're either not being well managed on their medication or a lot of them you know this is the first ever episode for example Mm -hmm. of mania if you have bipolar and so you know they're not on any medication at all so I think with the inpatient it was a lot more trying to you know find a medication that works it's a lot more kind of larger scale changes so switching medication kind of trying to find a medication that works diagnosis was a big part of uh, inpatient as well that was probably Probably the biggest difference I would say between inpatient and outpatient is you're often, especially if it's a first episode that someone's presenting with, you're often trying to diagnose what it is that they have. Because I'm sure as you guys have noticed, a lot of conditions overlap so much. Like sometimes you can't tell if, you know, this is psychosis because of mania and bipolar disorder or if this is psychosis because of an underlying schizophrenia or is this psychosis because, you know, this is a really severe major depressive disorder that's causing psychosis and so you have to be the one to tease that out while they're in hospital whereas with outpatients it's a lot of just following the patients you've already been seeing tweaking medications you know making sure that things don't get so bad that they need to be admitted to hospital so that's kind of a little bit of a different approach to it if that makes sense yeah, absolutely. And I also, I, I'm working with a psychologist or a psychology student currently who's completing their educational background and practical component at St. Joe's. And she also shared how she has days where she's working in the inpatient unit and days in the outpatient unit. And I'm wondering, I'm not sure if you had the opportunity to work with psychologists or other members of a team, but Vipin, is there a difference between what a psychologist might do in the inpatient unit in comparison to what a psychiatrist might do? So I never really got the opportunity to work with a psychologist where I was working. Our team consisted of like psychiatrists, nurses, and then social workers. And then also we had like OTs, PTs, etc. And so what we had was during inpatient stays so as I mentioned the psychiatrist would you know see the patient every day try to diagnose tease apart what they had based on their symptoms start medications and also at the same time the hospital from morning to night would be running groups and these groups you know they tackled all aspects of therapy I tried to sit in on a couple you know for example some groups would do emotional regulation some would be DBT and so and I attended one of I think I attended and a DBT and and that was an occupational therapist running that group which I thought was interesting but really the roles are divided in that social workers and other parts of the team help deliver these kind of groups and therapies throughout the day the psychiatrist will often you know figure out the medication the diagnosis aspect of it and then another really important role that the social worker played in our team was trying to find resources 
for the patient in the community. So for example, we had a patient who, you know, because of really severe depression, wasn't able to work. And so we referred them to the social worker and the social worker looked through the different benefits you can apply to through Ontario and helped that patient fill out those forms. And so it was so, so helpful having different members of the team because with all the patients that we were managing as part of the psychiatry team, we couldn't necessarily help patients fill out these paperwork or find these resources outside. And so having a social worker, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, et cetera, really helped. Absolutely. Everyone in the team has a very key role to play. And when it comes together, you're able to offer some really holistic patient care. And yeah, I think that's something that we've noticed in our experiences, too, in the practicum. Lots of moving parts and lots of people taking on different responsibilities. So I've worked with a psychiatrist who delivered MBCT, which is mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, with a psychologist and then nurses who do intake appointments and psychiatry consults, as well as social workers for sure delivering all of the therapy interventions and really working on how to make a person's life more livable and easier for them to to function generally with their existing let's say diagnosis or symptoms and how they can realistically engage with resources and find things that can support them better so yeah absolutely lots of moving parts and I think that's really really necessary in order to give the patient what they need and like you said, it's it's hard for one person to do everything or even like one or two people to do everything. We just don't have the time and the energy to do that. So definitely a far more efficient system this way. And I think it's also important to have that interdisciplinary team because you get to work with different people. Like you said, Bipin, you had OTs who were leading these group therapies. I worked with an OT and a social worker who were co-facilitating a depression group for CBT. And I think all these individuals can bring in different perspectives and their own experience in that specific area. Because like you said, Navia, everyone's doing a different component and you need all of these Mm -hmm. working areas to come together as one to really provide that holistic care that you can see given to a client or a patient. On that note, however, I am wondering, Bibin, if you've noticed any other specialties providing psychotherapy, whether it's like a family physician, a psychiatrist, or anyone else really. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, as you guys mentioned, it's about, you know, having the skill and kind of doing the education and really anyone can deliver CBT, which is something that I didn't know. And so I think the first time I saw this is when I was doing an elective with family physician, and he'd mentioned that he, you know, has a weekly CBT session with this one client who um, has been really challenging to work with, just given that, you know, he was facing severe kind of psychosomatic disorder, where his, you know, in severe depression he would actually go into kind of comas for no real medical reason but like I said psychosomatic disorder and so I'd, I kind of asked him about how he can deliver CBT and he mentioned that he went to a conference that talked about the importance of being able to do things like CBT as a family physician because you're going to have so many different people in your practice that could benefit from it. And so he learned how to, it was funny, the title of the talk was called How to Do CBT in 10 Minutes <laughs> because often that's all you get as a family physician. Yeah. Your appointments are short. You don't have the full hour to go through. But yeah, he kind of 
incorporated into his practice because he saw that it was really beneficial for this one patient. You can definitely do it as a psychiatrist. I know for sure as some psychiatrists have that as part of their practice. You can, as a family physician, you can actually specialize in CBT and only do CBT. And kind of, I've seen some people leave the rest of their family medicine profession and just focus on CBT. It really is depending on kind of what you take an interest to. With that, I'm wondering actually, though, that family physician that decided to just do CBT, would they then be giving those typical, what we see as therapists, 50 minute sessions for CBT or is it condensed, like you said, with that 10 minute one? I think it depends on the practitioner. I've seen people do it both ways. Yeah, it really depends on on what your interests are and what you think would most benefit your patient population. Really interesting that you bring up the 10 minute CBT because in our classes last year, we actually watched a couple of clips by uh, family Mm. physicians who were delivering CBT. And obviously, as students, we were asked to watch them critically and think about what would we do different? What would we do the same? How would we, you know, change things and incorporate more of that in-depth CBT that we're learning? So like those 50-minute sessions, things like that. But it's really cool because we started by watching those 10-minute sessions to learn certain key skills like thought records or how to bring up behavioral activation in a depression protocol. And it was very helpful to to watch and to to see how just to bring up certain topics like this and how to seamlessly move from this is my presenting problem or my concern today and how can we then structure some sort of an intervention in only 10 minutes like that's a really impressive skill I know I'd have a really hard time doing it in that time constraint even a 50 minute session sometimes flies by in groups depending on how many people there are so yeah really interesting to think about and how important it is to have our family physicians first of all obviously aware of all the various mental health concerns and presenting problems, but also having some sort of ability at whatever point is comfortable for them to deliver some kind of intervention like CBT. And even those small skills once a week for 10 minutes can make a huge impact for sure. And I just wanted to add like the reason that the family physician was doing this, I I thought was really profound. I think the first thing was patient having come from a different cultural background, there was a lot of stigma against mental health. Okay. And so if the patient were to go to a, a more kind of formal psychotherapist, psychiatrist, there would be mm-hmm. a lot of stigma if the family were to find out. Whereas if the patient is just going to a family physician, it could be treated like any other medical problem and their family wouldn't need to know, right? And I thought that was really profound because it really sheds light on kind of the different challenges people face, even when trying to access things like CBT. And so I thought that was really helpful as a family physician not to mention that as a family doctor you have these long-lasting relationships and Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of trust that goes in between a relationship of a family doctor and a patient and so you know this patient just felt a lot more comfortable being with the family physician and and you know the family physician improvised for this one patient that he had which I thought was really profound. Yeah, that's amazing. I've actually, even thinking about things like wait lists, right? It's really hard to access care sometimes in these public sectors like a hospital. Wait lists for CBT can be quite long. And so this way, of course, the stigma aspect, and that's really amazing that the family physician recognized that, was able to still offer care in light of that, because of course, that could be a huge barrier for people and they may go without ever seeking 
additional treatment or support at all. And so, yeah, really, really great on their part and having that insight into their cultural background and how that can impact things. But yeah, for sure, the wait list can be really difficult too. And for someone who is really suffering on a daily basis and how difficult that can be, having to wait, let's say months is an incredibly long time. And so uh, things can really change within that time as well. So I know that's a huge thing in the hospital for sure is just wait lists and getting through our wait lists and having groups and trying to make sure that we're as consistent as possible. But there's only so much as well that the workers can do and that all the healthcare providers can actually offer therapy. Yeah, and I think that aspect of having that trusting relationship between a family physician and a patient is so important because when we think about it, there's two ways, I think, that if someone needs help, they'll either go to the emergency department or they'll go to the family physician. So having a family physician who, who is trusting and you have that relationship with them and they can provide you those resources, whether it's that 10-minute CBT that they do or give a referral or do other things is so essential. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could speak on that a bit more, Bipin, about if someone were to want to reach or access any kind of mental health support, how would they go about that? I think you mentioned two really great access points, family doctors and also emergency departments. And so the way I see it is a family doctor really is a key player in managing mental health problems that their patients may have. A good analogy is, for example, you know, if you have a patient who's recently started developing heart disease, your family doctor is the one who's going to manage it first until it becomes really challenging to manage and, you know, it gets too complicated. And then that that point, they'll refer to a specialist who focuses only on hearts, right? And so it's the same thing. Uh, a family physician is well equipped to manage you know, mental health problems. And it's it should be your family doctor that kind of starts off managing anxiety, depression, etc. until things become too challenging, either, you know, certain medications that you always start with aren't working, or things become really atypical, the diagnosis isn't clear. At that point, you would refer to a person who specializes only in that. So I think everyone's family doctors are well equipped to be able to at least provide resources, if not CBT, mm -hmm. or often times they're also very comfortable providing medications that's part of the training and so family family doctors most people have them hopefully would be kind of your go-to access points and then the other access point is emergency medicine emergency departments right and that's again a little bit of a different scenario if you were to be in a really acute uh, situation if you were to you know have suicidal thoughts or if your family were to have concerns they can take you to an emergency department and at that point you'll be evaluated by an emergency physician but also and we can talk a little bit more about specializations in psychiatry later but there's also psych emerge which are psychiatrists that specialize in emergency situations and you'll be assessed by a psychiatrist in the emergency room as well to see if you need to be admitted kind of what needs to be done to keep you as safe as possible so those are two really good access points that will lead you to further resources. Mm -hmm. And I know that many times as part of the care team, the family physician is roped in quite often and involved in a lot of the different discussions. So for example, at the beginning of our groups, we need to let patients know and get their consent for sharing any sort of notes with their family physician. And so they're constantly a part of that even further care or specialized care that the patients are going through. And I think that's why that relationship and that rapport between the physician and the patients is so important. And hopefully people are are able to 
find not just a family physician, but someone who they are comfortable with, someone who really understands them, even understands the nuances like cultural background and preferences in medication care things like that so absolutely a very key part and Bipin you mentioned the specializations in psychiatry I think it'd be really interesting if you wanted to share a little bit more about some of those because I actually didn't know how many specializations there are within psychiatry and what some of those would be so I think that'd be great if you could share some of that. So yeah, for sure. I I think to share kind of how you get to that part of specializing, it's important to know the journey to become a psychiatrist. So as you guys know, a psychiatrist has a doctor of medicine. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, the way you obtain that is you go to some type of an undergraduate program, either three or four years. It can be an undergraduate degree in really anything. I think medical schools in Canada are really open to having people with diverse backgrounds. I myself know my some of my classmates have degrees in arts and some of them were working professionals before so some of them have degrees in like physiotherapy nursing etc so you can really get an undergrad in anything obviously you can you know some people also get a master's etc a phd then apply to medical school Mm -hmm. and then after your undergrad basic degree you need to apply to medical school get in and you do that for either three or four years and get your md at that point after that you apply to a residency program and that's when you would apply to become a psychiatrist and a psychiatry residency is five years so and at the end of the five like the fourth or fifth year you can often start doing certain electives to subspecialize in different areas and then even after doing the five years of residency you can apply to more training more fellowships more programs to further specialize But there are a lot of really cool specialties that I found out about while doing my psychiatry rotation. So you have like the general adult psychiatry that kind of is what we've been talking about in this episode. You can also do child and adolescent psychiatry. That is a subspecialization. Again, you would start doing more of this towards later on in your residency, the fourth, fifth year, and then you can apply to further education after. There's also things like geriatric psychiatry. And so oftentimes older adults present very differently in terms of symptomatically to the hospital. And so Mm -hmm. you can specialize in how older adults manifest. There's also something called liaison psychiatry, which basically you are working in a hospital setting most of the time. And oftentimes, for example, there'll be patients admitted not under psychiatry for example they'll be admitted under surgery because they have like an appendix that needs to come out or they'll be admitted under internal medicine because they're going through heart failure but they'll have underlying mental health diagnoses that need to be managed and so you'll call upon your consultant liaison psychiatrist in the hospital that will help manage these comorbid conditions which is really cool and then there's also actually psychiatrists that specialize in psychotherapy so that's one of the specializations as well and there's also different settings you can work in as a psychiatrist you can choose to work at a hospital like I mentioned you can choose to work with incarcerated people for example you can choose to work in long-term care homes so really there's so many options to to choose from Wow, there's a lot of diversity. I hadn't even thought of that. When I think of a psychiatrist, I just assumed they're the people that we saw in our practicum, Navia, where they're coming in, doing the consults and being like, yeah, you try this, try this. If not, we'll we'll check in again. 
But to know that there's so much diversity and range in what you can specialize in and there's all these areas that you can focus on if that's something of interest to you Mm -hmm. is really neat. I mean, it prolongs the educational period for anyone that wants to do this. But it's good to know that we have all these professionals who are very highly educated and specialized in a particular field. So you can trust these people who are saying that they focus in one area and are providing that care for you. Mm-hmm. And this idea and theme of lifelong learning that comes oh, up yeah. pretty much in every episode that we talk <laughs> about in the healthcare field generally. So whether it's psychotherapy or medicine and then going on to specialize as a psychiatrist, I imagine very similar to us, Pravnor is keeping up with research, workshops, mm-hmm. trainings, things like that, right? Especially with mental health, which is changing so often and, and so fast, mm-hmm. just being updated about it, what's coming out, new medications, the pharmacotherapy side of things as well and how intense and complicated that can be on its own so definitely lots and lots of interesting trainings you can take and specializations in the field so thanks Vipin for sharing all of those because definitely I think it was very new for Pravner and I to hear how many different specializations there are and I'm sure for many of the people listening to this episode as well very helpful to hear that. With all of your experience so far Vipin in clerkship and all the rotations you've done I'm curious to know what is something that you took away from your rotation in psychiatry specifically is there something about yourself that you learned or anything really from psychiatry that you'd want to implement into your future career path that you end up choosing for specialization I think I probably talked about this in my last episode as well, but the first thing I learned about myself, especially in the context of psychiatry, is the importance of self-care. I think this was one of my first rotations where it's really easy to get extremely emotionally invested. There is even the nature of consultations that I would complete in the inpatient unit. So for, you know, to give you an idea, when I do, when I go do a consultation for some other specialty, usually, you know, you spend about... 30 minutes kind of going over past medical history, et cetera. A psychiatry consultation is completely different. I would sometimes spend up to two hours with one patient just getting their initial history, you know, because there are so many different aspects that you need to dive into. And a lot of them are really, really sensitive and hard to talk about, right? Talking about past trauma, talking about, you know, if they're having any thoughts of harming themselves, which, you know, this was one of the first times I'd ever done that. It's one of the first times I've heard people disclose their past traumas. The first time I've heard people disclose that, yes, they are having thoughts of of taking their own life or, you know, them disclose this is how I hurt myself at home. And it was really impactful. And so it's sure. really important to be able to find ways to go home and not take that back with you. And so that was one of the the first things I learned about myself is I need to be able to find a way to emotionally be present for my patients when I'm there. But when I'm done and I come home, I'm able to detach myself and just to be able to stay calm at home, right? It's really challenging. So trying to find things that help me stay grounded, you know, being with friends, family, using coping techniques, and then also reaching out to supervisors. And we have a wellness committee ourselves, not being afraid to reach out to counselors myself to, you know, talk about the things that you've seen, because it can be really, really, like I said, emotionally challenging. Absolutely. And again, self-care has come up so often and very similarly when we sat in on consults as well in our placements it I completely resonate with what you're saying Bip, and it's 
very incredibly taxing as well, emotionally, mentally, to sit there, be present with the patient. And, you know, we weren't asking the questions because that's not a part of our role as psychotherapists or at least as students in practicum. But even just listening to their stories and listening to how the nurses navigate asking all of these questions. And you're right, sometimes they'd be two, three hours in length just getting all of that history looking at medical history, but also all of the past uh, family history, everything pretty much uh, presenting concerns. So definitely very exhausting for both you as the professional and for the client. So recognizing that, being mindful of, of how difficult that can be and absolutely taking the time for yourself and figuring out what kind of self-care works for you, which it sounds like you've started to get a good grasp on is noticing what kinds of people, if you spend time with, that can help you out, finding that balance in your life. And that's something that we're all going to be working on very hard for sure as we start to enter our own professions and actually start working full-time hopefully soon. Yeah, and I think it also touches on that aspect of vicarious trauma Mm -hmm. that can be present in a lot of mental health and just helping professionals or professions really and how it's so important to keep yourself grounded and check in with yourself to see, is there something I can do for myself right now? Can I do some self-care? Should I personally be seeking out some professional support to address any concerns I have? And how that is a component of our life that we should really value and respect and also respond to when we notice there are changes in our body because if we're not at our best how can we be providing that optimal care to others and I know we touched on this a lot more in a previous episode but really looking and reflecting on self-care and how you'd like to incorporate that into your life because we all need breaks working all the time and thinking about work all the time can be so exhausting so it's really important to check in with yourself to see what where am I right now and what can I do to help me in this moment I think the other thing, and maybe you guys can chime in a little bit too, but whenever my first time ever doing like a psychiatry consultation, I was honestly really afraid to ask these questions. I was afraid to ask, you know, are you, do you ever have thoughts of killing yourself, etc. They just sound so blunt and it can be really scary asking these questions I wanted to be sensitive I didn't want to you know cause more trauma for the patient and I was always so afraid I felt like I was walking on eggshells but really the biggest thing I took out of my psychiatry rotation by the end of it is that you know as long as you're there to provide a listening ear to your patient um, respect them and support them and understand that everyone comes from different places and has different perspectives there's really not a lot of harm you can do by asking these questions in fact we have a must ask policy where you need to ask these questions right and just asking them isn't going to put the idea in their head if it's there that's something that they've been struggling with and it's your responsibility as a healthcare provider to ask them and support them through it and so that's one of my biggest learning points is don't walk on eggshells around your patients they're there because they need your help they need your support and as long as you're understanding and you're there to listen to their story it's you know you guys can work together as a team and so that was another really important point that I took away from psychiatry you know and then even applying it to other rotations after psychiatry if I do notice some type of a mental health concern not being afraid to talk about it because you know even as healthcare students there's internalized stigma about talking about mental health problems right I you know if you're there to assess a patient with heart failure you might just be focused on the heart failure but it's important to 
you know, notice if there's an underlying mood problem, for example. So I think just taking that away to other rotations and hopefully for the rest of my career was so important. Yeah, it's great that you bring that up because we've actually had the exact same conversation in class with our professors when we do role plays, for example, and exactly the same experience where many of us feel like, how do we put this lightly or how do we frame this in a way that's more delicate to really deliver that information and get the information from the patients? And what we were advised to do is ask the question as straightforward as possible while being um, empathetic and really compassionate. But just ask the question because many times this is the first time someone's asking them about, let's say, suicidal ideation or self-harm or anything like that. And so it really opens the door in a way that is less stigmatizing compared to I'm going to like beat around the bush and try to frame this in a way that's more comfortable for me and all of that. So really trying to put that aside and being as straightforward with asking the question and then obviously being, like I said, a really great listener, supporting them in that way. But it's hard initially to do that. It's very, very difficult. And like, you know, the stigma, just the idea that we don't talk about these things as openly. And so going from that kind of mindset and upbringing into we're going to just ask these questions to people, it's kind of mind blowing and it takes a long time to adapt to that. But that's definitely something that has come up quite a bit for us. And I think it's an ongoing thing that we would have to practice and just get more and more familiar with. I think one thing that I took away from all of that is just having those questions open and out there and just saying them makes it less stigmatized and normalizes everyone's experiences and it does it makes it a more comforting environment to even share it. If you are beating around the bush or trying to be sensitive in a way that doesn't come off genuinely, the patient or the client might not feel as comfortable even sharing because they're like, oh, am I not supposed to be feeling this way? Or is this something that they might judge me for? So just saying it as best you can. And like you said, with more practice, the more we do it, I'm, I'm sure it'll become more easy to us. We are still students learning and navigating the routes of how to provide care and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But it's a learning process and we're all going through it and I think we're on the right path. We've been having lots of conversations about it and learning through classroom experiences and even through our practicums and our clinical experience for you, Pippin. But with all of that, I do want to say thank you so much for coming on our show today. We've had such great conversations about psychiatry, mental health, and how to navigate some of these routes to be a psychiatrist or to work in the field of mental health we know you're really busy so we do appreciate you taking out some time and sharing your experiences and thoughts about your journey in medical school so far of course i think it's really important to talk about this i think we need more practitioners out there that are psychiatrists yes but also you know family physicians that are comfortable delivering mental health care and also it's important to help people learn about it Thank you so much for joining us and we hope to have you back for another episode. It's, it was, it's always lovely having you talk about your experience and what we can do more in the field of mental health. Yeah, it's a very unique perspective for sure and nicely complements the work that we do. Lots of similarities, but also really interesting differences as well that we can discuss. So thank you, Bippin. And just as we end off, we wanted to remind everyone that this information is meant to be purely educational. We are not health professionals, just graduate students and medical students navigating these topics with you. Any podcast content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So we recommend that you always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions regarding your mental health and your well-being. 
We do want to leave you with some resources. These include Good to Talk, Kids Help Phone, Connects Ontario, Bounce Back Ontario, which is a free skill building program managed by Canadian Mental Health Association. These are a few mental health resources, but in addition to these resources, you're also welcome to reach out to your family physician or go to your nearest emergency department if you feel that you are struggling with mental health and you'd like to reach out to some of those resources. As always, you can connect with us through our email, which is sotellmemorepodcast at gmail.com and our Instagram page at sotellmemorepodcast. Check us out for future updates. And it's also a great way to share any sort of feedback that you have on our podcast or specific episodes, as well as any ideas that you have for future episodes. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you're listening right now. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned something new or simply enjoyed our exploration of psychiatry and mental health. We're excited to continue exploring new topics in future episodes, but for now, stay safe and take care.